Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Friends, I'm really pumped because this week um, has been a big week and God has, in His providence, provided us a moment to hear from two preachers we didn't plan on, but we were thankful this morning. We had Dylan here, who's our next church planner, preaching on what it means to plant churches and why we do that. I encourage you to go listen to it online. It's a phenomenal morning here in the life of our church. But we're going to have the second, uh, a different preacher tonight. Over the last six months, we've been having a church planting residency where we're taking young leaders who are hungry to plant churches, forming them and shaping them and saying, hey, what's God stirring in your heart and how can we best equip you uh, to see that come into fruition? So tonight, friends, we're going to have the next church planter in our church, our current church planting resident, come and share from us. He's a pastor at New Life Coolangatta. He used to attend our 6 p.m. service about five years ago and he's with us tonight. He's just recently got engaged. Would you welcome Pastor David Scambry as he comes and shares with us tonight. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. That's very kind. Um, good, I was about to say good morning. I knew I was going to do it too. Good evening, New Life Ravina, 6 p.m. So excited to be here today. And I'm actually going to invite us to dive straight in. I'm going to do something bold. If you bring a Bible with you, a physical Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up. The reason it's bold is because who brings a physical Bible with them these days? But if you do, go ahead and open it. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to head to verse 16. And whilst you do that, thank you so much for the intro. Uh, I actually am not sure how else to introduce myself. But yes, I'm here with my amazing fiance, uh, Ella. Say hi to her afterwards. She's the extrovert. Um, And yeah, really, really excited to be here to see how God wants to unravel what it is that he has to do in our hearts as we gather in faithful obedience before him. Because who knows that being here, gathering as his saints, is actually part of his mission and part of his will for the church. So let's see what he does. I'm going to dive straight in. We are talking on discipleship today, um, which will be uh, on the screen behind me. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 28. So if you, got the, if you got it, open it. Otherwise, it's on the screen behind me. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Show of hands, who here has heard this scripture in part or in full before at any point in your lives? Come on, this is what I expected. It is one of the most well-known scriptures in the Bible. It even has its own title, the Great Commission. But, But these words were the words of the eyewitness Matthew. That is someone who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, who discipled with Jesus, right, under Jesus. These are the words that he wanted to leave lingering in our heads and in our hearts once we were done with his account of who Jesus was, how he lived and what he did. And at the heart of this call, is a call for us to, to disciple, Amen. to be disciples, and for discipleship to be a priority of a Jesus people. And my wondering today is how high on our list of Christian priorities does having a discipleship culture come for us? And I wonder also, also how many of us have a bunch of questions? How many of us hear the word 
discipleship and we're actually left with a whole heap of, of anxiety or fear or uncertainty about what it actually looks like or actually means to disciple. So my hope for today is this, that we would, like Jesus' disciples, fall in love with the Jesus way, that we would, like the early church, like the early church, fall, have a deep understanding, a formed understanding of the necessity and nature of discipleship and that we would, as a modern church, prioritize a discipleship culture that fits and works for our world, for the relationships we're discipling in, that we would take this course seriously. So before I do any of that, my invitation is this, would you come and pray with me? Lord God, I thank you that you're in this room. Lord, I thank you that you're here. That we don't have to claw at the door, we don't have to impress, we don't have to uh, hope we're good enough and then beg you to come, but you actually delight in dwelling amongst your people. That in the power of your spirit right now, my God, you are already moving. I pray in this room what you would be stirring is a sense of anticipation that as we put our faith, our hope and our trust in Jesus, in, in Jesus' way and as we, as we go his way in the way he's commanded us together, that Lord, you, you would be breaking something off, that, you, that you, would be, you would be marching light forwards into our world, that our workplaces, our relationships, our universities, every part of our life would be more holy and more beautiful and more life-bringing. Lord, come move. We just thank you so much in confidence that you are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, so I guess we're preaching on discipleship. I think a pretty good place to start is by just asking a question and hopefully, hopefully answering it pretty well. And the question is this, what is discipleship? And the way I wanna answer this is this way. Every day, every single day, we are picking up so much information. We are picking up so much perspective on reality that's shaping our view on life and what's important and what we should expect from it. Passively, our relationship with everything is just continuously being molded and shaped. We're being molded by the way we were brought up and by our modern encounters. We're being molded by our wins, our triumphs, and by our letdowns, the things that didn't go the way we wanted. We're being molded by the media we choose to entertain, and we're being molded by the friends we choose to let have influence in our life. Opinions, ideas, testimonies, teachings, and experience, they're all around us all the time, a dime, a dozen, and every day, a view of what is true is being shaped and molded within us, whether we like it or not. That's what's true. And Jesus comes into this world that we're living in, and he teaches us that the reality that by nature is being formed in us, as we pick up the dust in the lives of the world when we walk through it, the reality and our view of reality that's being formed within us, it's broken. It's wrong. And it's causing more pain. pain. Pain for us, pain for me, pain for you, pain for the communities we live in and for the wider world. And in fact, what Jesus goes on to teach us is that the truth of a joy-filled, thriving, hopeful life, uh, an eternal life, right? It's found in a direction that at first seems wildly incongruent to what we feel should be instinctively true, but what we learn walking through this world. This is why in Luke chapter nine, verse 23 to 25, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, must. Everyone say must. 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 They must deny themselves 
and take up their cross daily and follow me. Or in other words, here's the thing. You're being discipled by the world, friends. Do you know it? Do you know it? You're being discipled by the world. And to be a disciple of Jesus, we gotta lay our discipleship to the world down. Because being Jesus' disciple is contrary to all the things we're learning elsewhere. And so Jesus isn't here saying, hey, you ought to deny yourself, you ought to take up your cross, and you ought to follow me uh, because otherwise you're going to get in trouble. Naughty. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is, is, is that to be discipled by Jesus, you by nature cannot continue also to be discipled by the opposing view, by the world. You must deny that. There aren't options. This is what it means to be his disciple. We trust him and we lay down our apprenticeship to the world. And, and he actually goes on to say this a bit better in the next verse. He, say, he goes on to say that clinging to your view of life or your view of what brings you life is actually costing you your life, which is just wild because how could that be the case? And he, goes, and he goes on to say, I know it seems wild and hard and inconceivable, but as you lay down your own intrinsic pursuit of what brings life, you'll find a life far beyond the promises of this world, far beyond the greatest thing that you think this world could offer you. Read it with me. For whoever wants to, not, not out loud, I just mean on the screen. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me or for following my way, they will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world which if you think about it, the whole world is kind of the most that the world can promise us, right? So what good is it for someone to gain everything the world can offer and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Friends, it's possible to gain everything you think this world can bring you and still find that your soul and your life is in jeopardy and in pain, hurting and unstable. And so at its core, discipleship is an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship with everything. Discipleship is an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship with everything. Discipleship is us walking through life, learning and picking up everything that, that, that's teaching us philosophies and ideologies and ways of understanding reality. And it's shaping how we relate to everything around us. So at its core, whatever is discipling us is shaping us. It could be Jesus, sure, but it could be Hollywood. It could be money. It could be the philosophies of this world. It could be a hundred other things and probably a mix, a multitude of things. And this is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 39 to 40, he says this, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Or in other words, do you know this? That where the disciple maker is going, the disciple goes. Friends, wherever, whatever is teaching you, is going, that's where you're gonna end up as well. That is true. In fact, he goes, up and goes on and says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Friends, who is your teacher today? Who's the loudest voice in your life? Is it Jesus in his kingdom or is there, is there a culmination of other voices that speak far louder? This is the core of discipleship, a relationship that shapes us. And here's the thing, when wielding all authority and all the rights to command, when nothing in heaven and on earth had more weight or more power or glory or authority than Jesus, his one directive when he made that clear to everyone is this, to ensure that discipleship to the Jesus way is prioritized by the Jesus people. That's you and I. 
And what this teaches us is, is that if discipleship is an apprenticeship that shapes our relationship with everything, then Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything. Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship to Christ that begins to write our relationship with everything around us. And, and, and in doing this, as this relationship with everything is righted, as he heals our relationship to, to money and to ideas and to our own hearts and to the people around us and to God, as he does this, we draw intimately closer to God and to one another. We, we know this because when... In the gospel, someone comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what's the, what is the most important commandment there is? And, and in that question, what he's saying is, hey, what's your highest value? What do you prioritize most? What, it, what, what of your character do you find to be most important? And this is what Jesus says back. He says in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Friends, the heart of Jesus is to see more love, more relationships, more wholeness, more people more like Jesus, more people who are learning to entrust their lives and their hearts to the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 14, 33, he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot. You just can't. You, you cannot. It's impossible. You're unable to be my disciples. It's not a test. It's not a, are you holy enough? It's not a, go and sell everything you have and move into a mountain. It's saying, who's dominating your soul? Who's the loudest voice in your life? We are prevented the freedom of Jesus's way by our obsessive misguidedness with everything we encounter in this world with all of the dust and the lies and the deceit we pick up when we let all of these other voices teach us what matters and what is true. So I wonder today, would you, would you begin to recognize that, that first discipleship is us apprenticing to Jesus as he heals and makes right all our bad connections, expectations and rela relationships with everything that is. And second, would you begin today to consider how Jesus might become the loudest voice in your life? Would you consider perhaps today for the first time how, how Jesus might become the loudest the clearest, the most distinct, the most powerful, the most influential voice in your life. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we have a guy, his name is Jesus. He seems to have a bunch of answers, healings, restorations, a whole heap of good news that, that we need to truly taste what it is to, to know and be totally held in the loving arms of a father. And this sounds beautiful. And we find out going on that Jesus wants us to know this. Jesus wants us to have this, to be shaped by these rhythms of truth. And I'm left going, so where do I sign up? How does this happen? And it's here that we begin to see the brilliance of Jesus' plan for discipleship. Because in my head, I'm just thinking, yep, I need this. Man, my relationship with everything is broken. I have wrong expectations. I have wrong value statements. I, I, my entire brain and my perspective on how I relate to everything is continuously warped. And the more I've lived with, the, with Jesus, the more I've begun to realize just how warped my heart is. I have the wrong expectations and value towards money, towards people, towards my time, uh, towards my God, towards my life, towards how I need to live, my own heart. And I'm like, oh, yes, I need this. When, when are you going to teach it to me? 
Is, is there a waiting list? Do I sign up somehow? I want this. But when we read the Great Commission of Jesus, it isn't Jesus telling himself to do something, right? He's not being like, hi, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. You know, would you like to go disciple some people, Jesus? Sure would. Jesus, thanks for asking. That's absurd, right? What's happening in this section isn't that. It's not Jesus telling himself to do something. Jesus' master plan for discipleship is that we, the very people in need of it, would be the primary conveyors of it. Check out how the early church was playing out. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, he says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Or Colossians 3, 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, to God, So the, the early church figured that as, as we, you and I, the church, gather together, a whole heap of things should, should begin to come out of that relationship. We should, we should lead to greater love and, and good actions, to wholeness in community, to encouragement for one another, to Christ's teachings being shared with seriousness, to us being shown a better way when we go astray, to modeling and encouraging one another to worship, to cultivating hearts of gratitude, and, and so on and so forth. And friends, this isn't a complete list of things that we should, we should be expecting to see. These are two verses I cherry-picked. These are just two verses from the Bible that, that list out a bunch of things the early church expected the gathering of the early church to look like. And, and what they say when they say one another to one another to one another over and over again is what they're saying is all of this is to be done by each of us to one another as we go. And what this teaches us, and I actually think this is really important. I think this is so, so important. It teaches us that discipleship is, isn't us having all the answers. And then once we do, we just drop these answers down as though we're like some absolutely super-powered hero when everyone beneath us is a bunch of peasants and we go, here's what I have, you know, let me save you. And it sounds absurd and we go, yeah, well, of course it's not, that's crazy. And yet so often I think in our hearts, that's how we see it. Like before I can disciple, I have to be better. Because fundamentally we have this sense that discipleship is about a power dynamic. It's about one person being better and the other being worse. It's a holy person raising a less holy person, a smart person, teaching a less smart person. And I always say this up front, while at times finding someone better at a specific thing you want to grow in is so helpful. Like if you want to learn to read scripture, sit with someone who reads scripture well. If you want to help the less fortunate better, go and find someone who's doing it and does it well. Right? If you want to have a better way of understanding the Christian life more effective, find someone who's approaching the Christian life well and has a good way of thinking about it. But the thing is, this actually isn't discipleship. This is mentorship. This is the development of a skill, of an ability. And it doesn't have to be Christian. That can be done on any direction in any way. But it is the thing that we learn from this scripture is that Jesus isn't calling us to make disciples of ourselves. Jesus isn't calling us. He didn't go, hey, Dave, 
hey, David, I want you to go to someone in this room and I want you to start discipling them and I want them to make them your disciples. I want, them to make, I want you to go and make David people. I want you to go ahead and make a whole collection of people that are so much like you so that there will be an army of David people all around the world and they're gonna be fantastic and the more you do, the more brownie points you're gonna get. Friends, that would be sick. It would suck so bad. We don't want more David people in this world. What we want is more Jesus people. And so this is what he invites us into. He invites us to not make more disciples of us as though we have all the answers and people need to be more like us. He invites us to make more disciples of him. And we won't find an alternative teaching in scripture. What this teaches is it's not about you being good enough. And friends, if you're putting off getting into a discipleship relationship with someone because you don't feel good enough, let me just bluntly say this up front. That is a lie. And it's robbing you of a part of what Jesus has invited you to experience in the Christian faith. right? And so, so it's not about being good enough. It, it's about being hungry enough. And it's about finding someone, uh, someone around you, someone in your life who's hungry as well, and then encouraging them as they encourage you so that in the day of need, you know that there's someone in your life who will say, brother, I know this hurts. Sister, I know this hurts. But you remember when we prayed and we saw God move. And I say, hey, I know that this is difficult, but you remember those scriptures we read and we bank on the promises of God. And we'll have these relationships that upbuild and strengthen and develop us to be the kind of people who walk through season after season after season faithful to God. Because Jesus' call to discipleship says, hey, would you just come on a journey towards me? And would you do it together? Would you do it honestly? Would you do it sincerely? Would you do it with vulnerability? Would you do it with humility? Would you do it with a willingness, heck, even a hunger to grow, to learn, to be shaped, to find all the places that right now we are wrong and wounded and hurting people and have them righted in a lifetime with Him together. Jesus' master plan for discipleship was that we, the very people in need of it most, would be the primary conveyors of it. No one's becoming disciples of us. No one's becoming disciples of us, but we are hungry ambassadors conveying the wonder of what it looks like to be Jesus' disciple. And we're inviting people onto that journey. So it's this collaborative nature that quickly answers why such an important thing like discipleship Right? The thing that Matthew wanted to linger and dwell in our heads after we learn everything that was to learn from him about Jesus, the thing he wanted us left with, discipleship, this collaborative nature begins to answer why it is that it doesn't have a biblical blueprint. Because here's the thing, I don't know if you've read the book of Exodus, but if you get to that latter third of Exodus, I mean, it's a great story, I mean, a great narrative, it's engaging, there's action, there's, there's, there's miracles, it's brilliant. And then you hit this kind of random point in the book of Exodus where it just gets really details orientated to building a tent, which is called a tabernacle, it will be a place of worship. And you're like, man, by nature, a tent is temporary. Why have you put so much time and work and energy into detailing every iota of this tent? And then it comes to something like discipleship, which is going to last for the entire church age. And you don't write us anything even even similar in any way to that kind of blueprint. Why? And the reason is because it's, discipleship isn't about meeting in a single place driven by a single formula, a one-size-fits-all religious dogma. Discipleship is designed to be tailored, to stamp life into lives across cultures, 
demands, busyness and slowness, city and country, male, female, young, old. Biblical discipleship is personalized, culture to culture, age to age, person to person, relationship to relationship, and it's us, the people in it that shape and explore what sincere and healthy discipleship looks like for the relationships that we're going to be doing it with. Uh, To borrow a word I learned this week, uh, it's co-creational. It's co-creational. Discipleship is two people saying, I am on a journey together towards Jesus in sincerity. Let's create a space where this works for us, where we're encouraged and we're uplifted and we're driven in worship. It's co-creational. Church-age discipleship is bi-directional, co-creational, encouraging, faithful, pursuing of holiness. And Proverbs 27, 17 tells us it this way. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So here's the thing. You and I sitting down in a bi-directional, faithful, encouraging, and vulnerable space in the pursuit of Jesus is is primary to his plan for disciple-making. Friends, would you let... Jesus speak through you and be spoken through the person you're meeting with to form, develop, shape, cultivate, and mold a more right relationship with everything in this world. He disciples us as we sit in discipleship with one another. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end. Of the age. Friends, if Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything, and we recognize that it's an apprenticeship that, that, that moves us towards Jesus, that moves with Jesus, He's by our side, walking with us, and under Jesus, He's the one in charge, He's the Lord, He's the one guiding, right? An apprenticeship that Jesus progresses as we gather together in intentionally discipling relationships. I'm left asking, okay, so, so how? Do we do these intentionally discipling relationships well? And as I said, there's not a straight up biblical blueprint. That would be nice. But there are quite a lot of teachings in scripture where Jesus explains what it is to be his disciple. And I'd like to offer three. Um, The first is this, loving the Jesus way. The second, knowing the Jesus way. And the third, living the Jesus way. So the first one, loving the Jesus way. John 13, 34 to 35 says this, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I I keep using this word to define a a discipleship um, relationship in a more approachable way. I keep using the word apprenticeship. And here's why. Have we got any tradies in the house? Right? Here's why. If you're a tradie, raise your hand. I just want to see if there are any tradies in the house. Man, there are far less tradies than I expected. And that guy's going to be very busy. If, If you're a tradie, if you've done an apprenticeship, you'll understand this. And if you haven't, go and speak to the guy, put his hand up. You see, a student sits before someone smarter than them. They listen, they take notes, they pass an exam, and the chief, the chief goal of being a student is just the acquisition of knowledge. But an apprentice, they don't just acquire knowledge, they wish. An apprentice is in the shadow of the one forming them. They don't get their personal space. It's not a cold download of information. It's a three to four year process of formation into an industry. By which, and this is the cool bit, when you're done, people should look at the work. Actually, it's terrible for the tradie, but, but people should look at the work the tradie does and then compliment the person who, who apprenticed them. They should go, wow, the guy who trained you is good. And you're like, I did this. I put all the work in. And they're like, wow, that guy who trained you, he's fantastic. In the Jesus way, though, 
We're not learning about one industry or one set of skills, or it's not plumbing, carpentry, or painting, one thing we have to focus on. It's a reformation of everything into the image of God and his kingdom. It's more people, more like Jesus. And in the Jesus way, there is no taking advantage of your position because Jesus' reputation is one of love. And so when we love because we've been renewed in him, people should look to the way that we treat one another and go, yeah, yeah, I see your master's handiwork all over you. I see your master's head all over you. I do. Yep, yep, Jesus' disciples. Let me tell you, the way they care for one another, that's Jesus all over it. The way that person prioritized that guy's need, Jesus, Jesus' disciples. Or they are apprentices of his work, of his trade, of his craft. So how do we do intentionally discipleships well? Well, the first way is we love one another the way Jesus did. We create a safe space, a space where vulnerability is honored. Let me give you just a big, quick tailor there on vulnerability being honored, right? That means that when someone tells you something in a vulnerable space, you're sensitive to it. You don't laugh at them. You don't make them uncomfortable. You listen with with no judgment. You don't sit there and go, sinner. You know, you just, you just, you just, you let it happen. You listen, that person's chosen to open up. And then the other thing is, you keep it in the circle. Wherever the people they trusted to release that to in that space, that was a decision they made, and it's up to them if they wanted to go to anyone else. It's not up to you. You honor vulnerability. Second place, the second thing is a place where failure is normalized. Not gratified. We don't make fail, failure a thing we're okay with and we go, oh, it's okay, you only failed again, that's fine. But it's normalized. We all fail. It's a place where successes can be celebrated and, and not glorified. They're not idolized. It's a place where we create relationships with the people we've chosen to do discipleship relationships with and we grow in such a way where we allow that other person more deeply into our lives. Where I can grow to not actually have to hide a part of myself in shame from that person because I know that that's a person I can be a human being and I can be myself with. It's a place where we can step out and be bold in faith together. And if we, if we stuff it up, that's okay. We'll just get up and try again. That's fine. So this might be an ideal and it might be far away from where we start, but, but it's this love between us. And you know what? Of course it's far away from where we start. That's how relationships work. It's not like I met Ella and was immediately like, I knew every single thing there was to know about her. We had this perfect chemistry. I mean, we did, of course, but you know, it's not we had this perfect chemistry and everything was right. We, we walked in relationship. We wrestled in relationship and we grew in relationship. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Anyway, so it might be far away from where we start, but it's this love between us, these genuine movements of care and of acceptance and of celebration, and at times even of rebuke, that mark a healthy, loving discipleship relationship. So number one, we love one another in the way Jesus revealed to us we should love each other. Number two, know the Jesus way. John 8, 31 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. We read in the early church in the book of Acts, chapter two, verse 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'm gonna say that first bit again, friends. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Friends, I don't know if you know who the apostles were. They were the eyewitnesses of Jesus. So they weren't just the people who heard the sermon and walked away. It wasn't like they just caught the information and that was it. They were the ones who saw his character. They saw the way he walked. They saw him when he had a flu. They saw him when he was tired. They saw him when he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. They saw him when he was hungry. They saw him in all the most dangerous and difficult and and, and hard moments of his life. And they also saw him as he brought life and as he healed and as he celebrated great victories and breakthrough in lives around him. They saw it all, and the early church were desperate to know it all. They were devoted to listening, to learning, and to reflecting, and to understanding the way of Jesus. So the second way Jesus teaches us to disciple is in how we hold to what he's taught. But this is what I got to say here, right? This is so important. We got to get hungry to know what he taught. Because you can't hold to what he taught if you don't know what he taught. Friends, you can't, you can't. Hold to what he taught if you don't know what he taught. In the book of James, uh, in the letter James wrote, he says that, that sometimes when we read scripture, we can read scripture like we're looking in a mirror and then when we turn away, we immediately forget what we've seen. And I don't know if you're as visual as I am, but here's how I imagine this playing out, right? I'm like walking, I'm about to go out. I go, what's this, what's this funny dot in my face? I better look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I go, oh, I got a pimple. And then I walk away and I go, what's this funny dot on my face? Feels a bit funky. So I go back, I look in the mirror again. I'm like, whoo, that is a pimple. I walk away and I go, man, this is a strange feeling dot on my face. This is odd. I never get out of the door. I feel like two second Tom out of 51st dates. It's like whatever I was hoping to get out of looking in this mirror, it's useless. Because what, we don't look in mirrors for the moment we look in them. We're looking in the mirrors hoping to discern something about what's true beyond the mirror. And James like, that's, that's scripture, right? And maybe all you can manage in the morning is you just get up and you just open the Bible and you let the living word of God speak into you. And my friends, that's beautiful. But the end goal isn't just to have had read, just to have had read your scriptures in the morning. That's not the end goal. The, the, the end goal for each and every one of us is that the scriptures would have room to speak into us is that we would truly believe that there is something in these scriptures that is unraveling the brokenness in the way we view everything in this world. There is something in these scriptures that can liberate us from that thing that's holding us captive, that can set us free from that thing of bondage that's destroying our souls, our relationships, that's making us take advantage and pursue and work and and strive in ways that are destructive and unhealthy. We believe that in the scriptures are the key to both eternal life, but also a deep and intimate, meaningful life, and also the, the the baseline of all of that, a sincere and genuine relationship with a God who loves and cares for you. Right. And, and, and we don't approach scripture that way too often in my, my opinion. The kind of hunger for scripture we, we gotta have is as though we truly believed within Jesus' his words was a healing between us and our relationship with everything. Because within Jesus' teachings, there is a revelation of a new kingdom a new culture, a new way of being human, a new way of interpreting everything, a way that brings life and hope and healing to a world and each of us. So the second point, we've got to get desperate to unravel the truths of the Jesus way. And finally, the third way we do this well is, is living the Jesus way. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's what we're doing. We're meeting up with peers. We're hungry for Jesus, for his kingdom and for his way. We're learning to love one another well. And we're learning all about what Jesus taught and reveals through his scripture and by the power of his spirit that lives within every believer and testifies to the truth of Jesus, right? And to stop there would, um, would be okay. But it's not a true reflection of a life liberated from those dust and lies of life that we're picking up every day. 
You see, here's what you've got to know, is that a follower of Jesus' way lives Jesus' way. Followers of Jesus' way live Jesus' way. And we don't even know we're doing it after a while. It'll just be normal life. We'll be developing a Jesus swagger about us. We'll just walk more like him. We will just naturally grow in empathy and in care and in love and in truth. And in the wise words of Jackie Pullinger, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. But the trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Discipleship relationships soften our hearts and harden our feet. And Lord begins with these intentional questions, these intentional movements that we do with one another. Hey, what's one thing we could be doing to reflect Jesus better in our lives? We ask in our discipleship relationships. Hey, what's that thing, that conviction that you've been ignoring for quite a, for, for quite a season? What's that, that pressing on your soul that, that you don't even know how to begin to face? And you don't go, okay, great, now you've told me to be perfect, get it done. You go, wow, let's, let's begin to unravel that together. Let's begin to journey through that. Because if God's convicting you, it's because it brings, li- it's because it brings life and wholeness and healing to go his way. So we should trust him. We go, hey, 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 what's, what's the fruit of his kingdom being brought to life within us? What's the fruit of his relationship and our relationship with him? Our third way of doing discipleship well is that as disciples, we would walk and live more like Jesus. Christian discipleship is an apprenticeship that writes our relationship with everything. And it starts by recognizing that every day we're being discipled already by everything. And it's killing us. It's killing us. So we begin trusting that Jesus should be the loudest voice in our hearts. And as we do this, we're intentional in in, in encouraging one another in our discipleship to Jesus by gathering and growing together. And in these discipleship relationships, we we grow in how we love one another the Jesus way and how we understand and know Jesus' way and, and how we outlive and outwork the way of Jesus in our world. And so I wonder today, who, who, who are you walking with? Friends, who, who will you start a discipleship relationship with? This week, who could you just approach and say, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but Jesus knows. If I was leading you, we're back to the blind leading the blind. But Jesus has this. Would you just come and walk with me as we walk towards Jesus? Would you read scripture with me and pray with me? Hold me accountable. Encourage me to a way of life that's, that's better than the way I've been living. More Jesus-like. You know, we're, we're about to enter a time of sincere worship and prayer. And what I, I think is important to remind us is that when Jesus pointed out that he had all authority in heaven and on earth, discipleship was the thing he wanted us to know about and prioritize. Right? And I wonder if you know that fundamentally the heart of Jesus to see us discipled is nothing short of a revelation of how deep and intimate his love towards us is. That he would raise us up from those miry depths of deceit and woundedness and sin and he would invite us into liberty, into freedom, into a new hope. That he would reveal to us a more beautiful way of being human that he would reveal to us true love, not by saying be better, but by showing it in his own body. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. You know, his heart for us isn't that we would be better performers or better masqueraders of righteousness. It's that we would taste real and true healing, real, true liberty, a new brilliant and beautiful force for life in the only place it can come from, a relationship with him. Would you begin to walk towards him today? Would you make him your primary disciple maker? And would you begin to do it together this week? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you that you're alive in this room, that you are stirring and you are moving and you are working amongst your people, that this is a community of people, God, that that you have a passionate desire to see come to life in the kingdom, come to life in your glory, come to life in, in your wonder, that we are a people, God, in this room who you believe And you have spoken liberty over, healing over, freedom over. When you have called to step away from the darkness, but in the face of the darkness, to push back darkness with the light of the kingdom or the light of the Jesus way. And you have invited us, my God, to know it because you love us and invited us to do it in a way that works with one another. And you know, maybe in this room, it's like, I don't even really know this Jesus guy. I, I hear that he's good. I hear that he's loving. I hear that he's a, he's a good God. But then at the same time, all I feel are these bondage of religion and pain and the fear that what if I don't measure up? What if he doesn't want me? What if he doesn't like me? What if whatever reason about me makes me unsavable? And here's what I wanna say right now is that that's not the case. And he invites you today to know his way. He gave his life for you that you would know the love He has. And so I'm gonna invite out of respect, all eyes to close and all heads to be bowed. And if you're a Christian in this room, that you would begin petitioning God in prayer, that He would continue doing what He wants to do, that hearts would be set free, both of the Christian and the non-Christian. And maybe in this room you don't know Jesus. Maybe in this room you've never had the opportunity to put your hand up and say, you know what, I choose today. I choose that I wanna draw closer to Him in a new way. Or maybe you've been a Christian, you walked away and, and you want to recommit. You want, you want to come back to Him and say, no, no, He is my Lord. His way is better. I've tasted the world. I've seen what it can offer and it falls short. I take Jesus. And if that's you in the room with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, I just want to give you a moment to raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are setting hearts free, that there is liberty in this room. Thank you that you're moving amongst all the people here, that your purpose is love and that you're drawing us to a more beautiful and a better way of being human. Be glorified in our hearts, God. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.